Welcome to the Biz Dad Podcast, where we dive into the melding of fathership and entrepreneurship with your host, the original Biz Dad himself, Adam Labar. Adam is a Christian, a former Air Force officer, a dad to three amazing kids, a coach, a real estate investor, and a business owner. On this podcast, he'll explore the unique journeys of amazing dads who are striving for greatness in both business and family. So whether you're a dad who is an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business owner, or simply a man striving to be a better dad, get ready as the Biz Dad brings you conversations to inspire, challenge, and equip you to be a better dad and entrepreneur. And now, here's Adam. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Biz Dad Podcast. Today, I'm excited to meet a new friend, Stephen Heptig. Looking forward to chatting with him. Um, he is a fellow Air Force veteran uh, and also, of course, dad and business runner, business operator. So I'm looking forward to jumping into a bunch of uh, bunch of stuff he's got going on, harass him a little bit about being an academy grad, um, make fun of him for that if, if at all possible. Um, but, uh, but anyways, uh, Stephen, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, um, uh, tell us about your family and your business, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Do, do I need to prove I'm a dad, like do the... Lion King Simba, hold up a child. Well, so that that's why know. I have my kids up here, so that I'm constantly <laughs> proving that I'm a dad. So there you go. Uh, I'm Stephen Heptig. I am currently uh, one of the co-founders of The Kinetic Man. My W-2 is as a United 777 pilot here on the East Coast. I live in Philadelphia. My uh, Most importantly, I'm married to Christine since uh, 2018, and we've got two kids. I've got a three-year-old boy named Mason, and I've got a three-month-old girl named Marigold, who we call Goldie. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, I forgot the I forgot about the triple. I mean, it's it's obviously on your profile, but I forgot that you were a United pilot, so I'll have to dig into that a little bit too. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, how long have you been married? Uh, 2018. So do public math. Five years. Uh, very good. Very good job on the public math. I like it. Going to make me uh, <laughs> have to, yeah. Yep. Bust out the calculator. 2018, <laughs> yeah. 23. Okay. Pilot. Got it. I don't yes. like doing public math. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, you were, you were in the military for a while. Um, obviously. So let me, let me kind of backtrack into that. You did that for a while and then became a dad while you're in the military. Is that right? Yes. So okay. I'm class of 2010. So I've been in okay. for about 13 years. I moved to Philadelphia in 2015, met my wife at the end of 16, and we got married in 18, and then got uh, moved from active duty to reserves uh, last year in 22. Nice. So she she got like the tail end of my time, you know, late okay. captain, early major type uh, time frame. So. Okay. Uh, that, that's only important because it wasn't the hardcore rock and roll yes. deployment years, but she got some mm. some significant flavor of uh, military life. Awesome. All right, we'll dig into that a lot uh, later on. But I want to uh, I want to rewind a little bit and, and feel free to filter as you need to. Um, I want to rewind to kind of your your upbringing, kind of where you came from. So um, if you can't tell tell me a little bit about like your your dad, what it was like growing up with your dad around um, or not around, whatever the case may be, and let's kind of uh, dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I grew up in Houston, so I am the oldest of three kids. I have one younger brother and then a younger sister. Parents are still married. They honestly, I, I would say I lived a pretty average suburban 
um, you know, Texas kid life outside of Houston. So, um, our parents were together. We lived in, uh, a nice neighborhood. My, uh, looking back, I think this is true for everyone, right? And like, you think your life is normal and then you get to be mm-hmm. an adult and you're like, well, it wasn't normal. But yeah. uh, so looking back, the, the normal things were, um, went to public school, did soccer, all the, the kind of, uh, regular kid stuff growing up. Some of the abnormal stuff was we had my grandparents ended up living with us. So we, they couldn't live on their own anymore as my, my mom's parents. So we built an apartment for them above our garage and they lived with us. So we were a multi-generational family for quite some time, which is funny because that's so abnormal today. And I didn't Mm -hmm. even really think of that until I was an adult. And then my dad, he is an architect, which means he worked really hard. I mean, um, quintessential boomer generation, hardworking professional, right? So he went to work early in the morning, had a long commute down to the other side of Houston. He worked long hours. He stayed late, came home, was very involved with baseball games and yelling at the umpire from the backstop and, and all the, those kinds of things. Right. But he worked long hours. And then for a period, he actually did work at home. He left his, his job, his W2 job, worked for himself for a while. Um, I don't honestly don't even remember how many years it was, but call it four or five years. And he had an office in the back of the garage. And I remember it's funny now you and I actually, before we got in the car, we were just talking about how difficult it can be working from home. Um, mm-hmm. It's a double-edged sword, right? There's a bunch of good stuff, but but difficulty as well. And so it's funny. I now understand this, right? Like when he had a deadline coming up, he worked all day long, every day, five days a week. But when he had a deadline coming up, like he would eat dinner and then go back to his office mm-hmm. and work until probably two, three, four in the morning, right? And now I understand like, oh, that's because he actually got things accomplished at that point in time. <laughs> um, you know, it's so hard to get things accomplished when the family's awake and bugging you all day. Yeah. So, so that was sort of my, my family upbringing was that we were, um, an intact family, got kids, mom and dad involved, all the sports, uh, that kind of thing. But dad was definitely, um, a hard working professional that spent a lot of time focused on the W2 and providing. Okay. So how did the, what did, what did your mom do for a living or she stayed at home? She was staying home. She worked, uh, previous. Prior to kids, she was like a, a computer scientist, which is pretty abnormal oh, back nice. in those days. But um, stayed at home when she was uh, once she had kids, and then once we got into high school, she did a, a few things for uh, local businesses, like some executive secretary type of stuff. But generally okay. speaking, she would stay at home. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, my mom generally would stay at home, but she you know obviously when the times were tough, then she would go get a job or two. But um, yes, yeah, but. Uh, how how is it that a uh, a kid that has an architect for a dad and a stay at home mom slash computer scientist decides I'm going to join the Air Force and go to the Air Force Academy? How did that thought process yeah. go? I am I am the black sheep of both my family and the Air Force. My okay, my, um, so it's not a dad, bad place to be. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> my dad was an architect uh, and a very good one at that. Um, my uh, Mom did some computer science stuff growing up. My brother's a structural engineer, and my sister married a uh, nuclear robotics type of scientist. Oh, wow. So um, I'm the dumb one of the family. Okay. And um, but I we went on a few trips around 
the United States when I was younger. And one of those trips went up to Washington state and the islands off of the coast of Washington state, you can get there two ways, ferry or airplane. And Mm -hmm. so I got to go fly in a Cessna 172 when I was pretty young, probably, uh, I guess that would have been like 13 or 14. And and that made an imprint of my life. Right. So that was like one of those moments that, okay, that pointed me towards aviation for the rest of my life. And then we visited both the Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy on some of these road trips that we would take. My family would hop in the car and and take road trips. And so I just kind of combined those two things together. So I was headed towards either, um, and and my my parents had a pretty, we didn't have a lot of money conversations, but one of the money conversations that we did have that I thought was helpful was them telling me, like, there is not money for you to go to college Mm -hmm. from us, right? Like, it is on you. Like, you need to go to college. We'll help you if we can, but generally speaking, it's on you. So you take those three forces and combine them together, aviation, military, and need a way to pay through college. Um, The service academies become a really tempting option. And so um, I fell down that very deep rabbit hole. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's not a bad route to go, though. I mean, especially when you're looking at it from that perspective. My parents, they always told me, they're like, yeah, you should totally be an officer. You'd be a great officer of the military. And then brought me to the enlisted recruiter at 16 years old. So <laughs> I don't, which is odd because both of them were military. So like, it's not like they didn't know. And my dad oh, yeah, was a recruiter. Knew. My dad yeah. was a recruiter. It's not like he like, so I, I don't know how, how that ended up happening. But I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'll totally join the military. That sounds great. They, they may have looked at it and been like, well, we ain't paying for college. So you can figure out how to be an officer later. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, that, I don't know. I don't know what their ultimate <laughs> decision was on that, but um, that's funny. Um, all right. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. So you go, um, uh, you go into the air force, you become a pilot. Um, uh, you mentioned before the call, bottom 100 of your class, solid. Oh, hold it down. Uh, I, I, honestly, like I was bottom 100 of everything. Um, until after the military, and then I'd figured out that okay, there's there's another way to do things, and I didn't realize <laughs> it. I was there's no way I would, like if I had gone to college, I probably would have failed out out of high school. So my parents probably made a good decision because I yeah I didn't have the mental or emotional maturity to do anything at that point. So yeah, um, but uh, but then you you end up like it's it's an odd one because from what I always gathered, right, how selective they are at at, at you know, who they put in to be a pilot in the Air Force. And then you tell me that, and then you go and fly special operations flying. So how did that kind of happen? Uh, yeah, you know, I I joke about it and, and uh, say that I was definitely not a good student at school. But there is a, a bigger life lesson there, which is I mm-hmm. did not, nobody taught me the like joy of learning. Yeah, like my no schooling up to that point through the academy did not teach me that. Yeah. So yeah, I I just did not do well uh, under that rigorous type of structure. But then, mm-hmm. funny enough, now as an adult, like man, I love learning. I consume oh, yeah. just massive amount of stuff. I I wish that I could take a year off and do nothing except classes that I enjoyed. Right? Like mm-hmm. that sounds amazing to me. So I just hadn't figured it out by that point, to say that's truth. But yeah, I was bottom. I was supposed to be space and missiles. And, uh, you know, the way it works is the Academy gets a certain number of pilot slots every year and they kind of trickle down and they generally do. It's like 500 out of a thousand. So they generally mm-hmm. do trickle down pretty far into the class over time. Everybody puts in their first choice and, and they get it. And then what happened with me is, um, it really worked out great for me. So the, 
top guys are mm-hmm. like road scholars and going direct to graduate school and all these other things, right? But they get a pilot slot typically because they want to be a pilot yeah. eventually. And they wait to the absolute last minute to say, okay, I'm going to take the road scholarship instead of being a pilot. I'm going to defer my pilot slot to the next, the following year. Mm-hmm. So then that pilot slot drops down. Well, they've typically already given the assignment out as to where they're going. And so, you know, the vast majority, right? If there's 500 pilots, then 480 of them are going to one of the Air Force bases to do pilot training. And then there's a couple of exchange. Some of them, I don't, I don't even know if we send any to the Army, but we definitely send some of them to the Navy because they fly real airplanes too. So um, there's a few Air Force people that go over there and a few Navy people come to an Air Force training. Mm-hmm. It's a real sour deal for the Navy people coming to the Air Force training. No kidding. But for the Air Force going to the Navy, it's a great time. So um, because I was low on the rung, some probably road scholar or some equivalent uh, kicked his pilot slot down two weeks prior to graduation. And I was one of the only people left uh, like, Hey, I'm waiting for a pilot slot. And so I got it. So I ended up going to Pensacola, having a grand old time down in Pensacola mm-hmm. with the Navy and uh, joined forces with the coast guard as the, the redhead stepchildren down there at Whiting field and, and had awesome. some, some fun times. And then after that, it just uh, was sort of the way the, the cards fell in terms of pilot training and what you're going to get and whatever. At the time, that was kind of in the heat of um, you know, 2010, 2011, heat of Afghanistan and Iraq. And so they were sending a lot of people to the uh, Special Forces aircraft at that point. And so, uh, you know, number three in my class, and it was sort of like at that time we knew no matter how you did the number one guy was going to get fighters number two was going to stay and train number three was going to to our special op- operations airplanes and so off i went that's awesome yeah i uh i got picked up to be a pilot to go uh, when i went back as an officer and i busted my neck in ots and the day before flight training and doing an mfs up in ohio they said nah sorry dude your neck is too busted you're not going you can't pull g's Ugh. so uh, but that was what I wanted to do. So I, I was attached to special forces in Afghanistan, bouncing around all over the place as a dog handler back in my enlisted time. And yeah. uh, um, so I was like, the, those are the guys that I wanted to like, I wanted to be around the rest of my life. I was like, this is, they completely changed my life. I, I went there an extremely immature knucklehead that didn't really, like I'd already been to Iraq with big army and doing some stuff. But then when you really go in and, and like it ch- changed my life for the better by far. And, uh, um, despite the the challenges that it came with, but I was like, these are the, like I want to be around folks that are doing this type of stuff all the time. So yeah. I was uh, so hearing that you did that was pretty pretty jealous, you know. But uh, but at the same point, you know, it I'm very thankful that I didn't. It would have been, it would have changed my life even more so, you know, once the kids came around. But um, yeah, but uh, uh, anyways, yeah, Pensacola was awesome. I don't know. Uh, sidebar, um, one of one of the uh, the co owners of ADPI is Tim Kelly, and he used to teach down at pensacola he would teach uh engines and uh water survival for the pilot students down there in, in pensacola so um uh, he used to be a rescue swimmer in the navy and all sorts of stuff but um nice unlikely that he, he would have ran across him but just in case i'll throw it out there yeah um but all right so uh you go you go through your military time you get married um shortly before uh, you jump uh before you're on your way out um when you had kids tell me kind of like so I'll give you a small snippet from me and people, anybody who's listening to this for, you know, the second or third time, have probably heard this, but um, I had this, this moment, like I was stationed in Japan and I was traveling 
all over the place all the time. I was constantly going somewhere doing something. Um, so much so that on my going away, it said, Adam, always TDY Labar. Thanks for visiting. Like, <laughs> so I was just never there. Um, yeah. uh, but I had kids. I had a kid and then we had our second kid while I was there. Um, and one time I was taking my trash out and my son came running up to me, daddy, 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 don't leave again. Cause he thought I was going to be gone again. And I was like, yeah. all right, something's going to change. Like, I just can't, I can't keep doing this. Um, so is there, um, how did the conversation go with your wife as you were, as you were saying, Hey, now we've, we've got kids. Like I've been in for 13 years. Like how do you make a decision to, to jump ship after 13 years with the kids? And how did, how did the, how did all that get going? Yeah. Um, I, I really, so I deployed a lot on mm-hmm. my first assignment. It was six months on six months off. Um, there's an, an infamous email that was sent out by a unit commander in those units that uh, basically said something to the effect of um, you people need to ha- stop having so many babies <laughs> and getting taken <laughs> off deployment lines. You need to plan better. Yes, of um, course. And, and so, you know, that's how the first uh, iteration uh, went, which I, I think, you know, le- left a mark on me for the rest of my time. Mm-hmm. It's also the place where I, I, forge some of my just closest friendships right uh classic uh kind of combat friends that you, you'll hang on to for the rest of your life but uh going from that to then um big air force mobility air force uh worldwide traveling with a big airplane it just sort of never stops so yeah. at my my unit where i was flying kc10s somebody you know left basically every two weeks and other people came back and it was just a two month machine uh, and had been for 25 years. And so that I think just wore, wore on us. My wife was, she's not, you know, from a military family. She's, I met her here in Philadelphia. Uh, her family is Philadelphia uh, born, bred, will die here uh, kind of folks. And um, she definitely put up with it. Well, she was, uh, really supportive in terms of me being gone and 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 me kind of pursuing my passions and my career because it, it involved not just the military at that point too so when we had our first kid i was also working for choose a Fi, which we can get into right like i had created i i'd heard the podcast and read the books and had started to create multiple streams of income mm-hmm. and and scratch that entrepreneurial itch but I was when when we had our first kid, right? I, I was going to the Air Force during the day. I was coming home at night. I was grabbing some dinner, going upstairs, and working from eight o'clock until midnight or one. She usually had gone to bed already, and I was going to bed in a dark room. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, my kid was born. That and that was my kid was born during COVID, right? So those years were odd to begin with. Um, so I was working from home a lot, but in COVID, I, I really got, got maxed out. I was part of the air force innovation system at that point. And so we were working like 16 hour days from home through AFWorks supporting the mm-hmm. you know, white house task force on, on COVID. And my first kid was born. And about a month later, I had to go on a month long TDY to go do an exercise out in Hawaii. And now, okay, a month in Hawaii, right? It's beautiful. We had a nice hotel. We were out there with 100 people. I was in charge of uh, a big portion of it. And so it was kind of one of the 
the defining moments of my career in terms of a leader. But I was gone from day 31 to day 61 of my child's mm-hmm. life. And I came back from that. And I think it just had a really profound impact of like, okay, this is not the path to success for my family. This and I didn't have a choice over it. Like I, I don't have a choice over me being here. I was in charge of a big portion of it. Like the, the timing is just out of my hands and there's so mm-hmm. much of the military that is like that. And I've lived this life for, for a long time. So I really just kind of made the decision that, okay, this, this has to change. Something needs to change. And then, um, then you have the Afghanistan withdrawal that occurred later, which I was one of the pilots that, that did that and executed um, the pieces of it from um, the Middle Eastern stations out to Germany and Spain, and then from those stations back to um, the East Coast, whether it was Dulles or Philly or wherever else. And so after that, I think I just I told my wife I said, okay, we've we've got to we've got to get out. I'm mm-hmm. going to go to the reserves and see if I can you know do this long term. But I do want a change of pace. Like I want to take. I want to take the uniform off every day and, and kind of downshift into a little bit more predictable life. The, the airline life isn't perfect, but there's a lot of things that I have control over in the airline life, mm-hmm. which we can dive into later. You know, a lot of people leave kind of the pressure cooker of the military or a W-2 or some high-stress job, whether it's a doctor, lawyer, whatever, and then they kind of go out on their own and and say, I want complete and total freedom. I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start my own business, which has a lot of you know difficulty in that. Yeah. And that is the path you hear most talked about. But I took a separate path, which is um, I'm going to take a W-2 that I have so much control over the levers of time worked and money made that I can, mm-hmm. t- I can box it. I can build a fence around it that is impenetrable. Um, for the most part. And that allows me then to focus my time, energy, and efforts on everything else, family, you know, business passions that I want to do. So yeah. that's sort of what led me to the the choice to get out. Awesome. Yeah, I saw, and I'm sure you did too, especially in the special operations world, like so many families just ripped apart by the military and not necessarily, you know, and I'll, I'll let me rephrase that. It's not the military doesn't rip them apart. The families fall apart due to the stresses from yeah. the military, right? It's it's yeah. it's still their own choice in how how they operate and what goes on. But there is so much demand and so much required of people. And I'm so thankful that like my all my majority of my deployments, um, especially the the combat ones, were all pre even marriage, let alone kids. So I couldn't imagine yeah. having to have gone through that. Like my son's first birthday, I was in uh, Niger. Um, so I got to have like the FaceTime birthday right. from a deployment in Niger, right? And I thought to myself, well, I, I'm not sure, like if this was what I was dealing with in Iraq and Afghanistan, like the mental change that it would have had on me and my ability to to do my job. So, um, you know, it, it's a, uh, ah, it's a, it's an interesting place. There's so much that, you know, the look, the military is a great opportunity. Yeah. It got me to where I am today. I'm thankful for that time. I always like to start with that, but it took me a year, a little over a year of detoxing mm-hmm. out of the military to be able to look back and say, man, there are some things that the military complex, just the, the bureaucracy of it and the requirements of it drive us to be that are so abnormal. Yeah. Uh, I know that you, on one of your previous podcasts, you talked about being on um, three ring 
call out. Three-ring standby, yeah. Yeah, yep. and th- me, um, it was a conscious, difficult hurdle for me to get over being able to put my phone like in a different room when yeah. I slept, right? But there was absolutely no reason I needed it. Like, there's nobody on this earth that needs to get a hold of me, you know, at night while I'm sleeping that can't yeah. wait until the next morning and in my life today, uh, as long as I'm not on call at United. Right. And so, but, but those kinds of things, or there was one morning when uh, I was sitting on my steps out back and my kid was playing and it was a Tuesday morning. It was beautiful and sunny outside. And uh, I had like a realization like this, it has taken me quite some time to be okay with this. Like be okay with just sitting in the backyard and playing with my kid on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I had that light bulb of like, wh- like why, why? If I have the the blessing of a job or whatever it is that like lets me be home on a Tuesday morning, like why is it so hard for me to sit here and do nothing else yeah. except focus on my kid and playing in the swimming pool with him? And it took me some some time to kind of like I said, I, I call it a detox period, and I, and I tell people that I get out of the military, like be prepared for that, be prepared yeah. for that transition. It's tough too. Like I feel like I'm still doing the detox because I I've just um, I I start to replace all the things that I need to do in my business instead, right? And it's yeah. like okay, well, you know, if I put my phone down and go outside and and swing the golf club in the backyard with my son because that's what he wants to do right now. Like he just came up to the window showing me he wanted he wanted to make these nunchucks. He's he was, <laughs> he's doing a science project, right? So he wants to make nunchucks out of PVC pipe. So he just came up to me literally like five seconds ago. I don't know if you saw my face, but he came up and he like showed me he just cut these these two pipes, right? And he's yeah. super thrilled about it. Well, if I want to just stop and go go over there, like it's still a mental barrier for me to go. Yeah, but people are relying on me to do, and and they are. Don't get me wrong, people are still relying on me, but nobody's dying today, right? No, nobody's dying if uh, uh, you know an education thing doesn't get put out on time, or if I don't right. call a property manager in time, like. Nobody's dying. Like, it's okay. I can, like, take that yeah. time. Go be with my family. And it's still yeah. a struggle for me, you know, and um, and it's, uh, I wasn't planning to go down this road, but it's been a struggle, too, looking at all the things that, you know, we've gone through. And I think to myself, you know, you, you mentioned the Afghanistan withdrawal and all this. Like, I think to, it was in Iraq, and Iraq just kind of fell apart, right? We just l- let it yes. go to whoever wants to do it. And then I go to Afghanistan. And then we withdraw the way we withdrawed, and it's no offense to you; you were part of it. But it's like, what? What the heck just happened? And I, you know, you're you're still in the reserve, so I won't. Uh, I'll I'll have you hold your tongue on any of that. As well. <laughs> but um, I was in Niger, and then they they fall apart, and it yeah, goes into just recently, you know, right? coup. And it's like one of my buddies. Uh, he's he uh, he was a special operations aviation guy in the army. Um, he he looked at me and says, "It seems the common denominator is Adam. So everywhere you yeah. go, it falls apart." I'm like, yeah, thanks, bud. But it's yeah. like I don't like. So I went through all of this stuff, and I'm doing all of these things for what and for who and for like for why. So like it it's for me. It was that that one year mark or so where I really started to ponder and look back and go, "What was I actually doing?" Right? Because like even when I went through. Um, some some training. I was with a really good buddy of mine, Brandon, and he knew from the start like what we were doing in Iraq didn't make sense, and I didn't. I was very, um, very focused on this is exactly where we should be, and this is exactly what I should be doing. And I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, what it was necessarily, um, but you know, I just I drank all of the Kool Aid, um, and then now I look back at it and go, I really wish I would have talked to him more so I could understand, you know, at a younger age what was going on and. Um, 
but I'm saying all that, I think, to say that we're, we're all going through things in our life. We're all going to continue to go through things through our life. And it, like, if we don't take the time to analyze what we're doing and why we're doing it and what's going on, we're going to be sacrificing something one way or another. Um, and I'm trying my best to make sure that my kids and my family are the least sacrificed thing in my life. My yep. faith and my kids and family, like that, that needs to be the least sacrificed thing in my life. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, um, I had a very similar conversation with my wife uh, after Afghanistan um, because I had, I had spent so much of my career and mm-hmm. life in Afghanistan uh, prior to coming to, uh, at my first assignment. And just recently, right, my, my reserve unit is shutting down the airplanes are going to a different reserve it's actually going to the national guard um and most people are going to the national guard they're they're following the airplanes they need people to go over there and fly like they need the pilots to fly the airplanes so it's sort of uh you know a situation of taking off one patch and putting on the other patch and Mm -hmm. the admin's going to kind of figure it out behind the scenes yep um but there's a couple of us who aren't going there and i had several people ask me oh why why aren't you going to do that and i said well the other alternative, I'm going to go to a different unit um, mm-hmm. that is more of a, a traditional reserve, like a traditional TR position, one week in a month, two weeks a year type of situation. Um, they said, why, why are you doing that? Why are you giving up flying in the Air Force? And I said, well, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with flying, and it doesn't have anything to do particularly with the Air Force. It has to do with the fact that I've just determined that my the, the longest trip that United has is six days. That's going to be, if I can help it, that's going to be the longest time away from my family anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I have to make, and, and when you come to that conclusion, just based off of all the things you mentioned, you know, like looking back, okay, uh, was this, I don't want to go down the path of like, was this worth it? But just, yeah. you know, yep. what am I sacrificing to be able to maintain this identity, right? This mask that I'm wearing, that I'm, I'm a military person, I serve and, and whatnot, which, which is all good and was a huge part of my identity as a younger man but now as a dad as a husband i just looked at it and i said okay how do i maximize for not being gone more than six days mm-hmm. and the answer to that was you know don't be in a unit that flies airplanes around the world and goes on month-long exercises and deploys to the middle east and, and things like that so um that was sort of some of my calculus very similar to to it sounds like what you went through in terms of looking back, taking some time, some time away to mm-hmm. say, okay, I, I see what, you know, what all of this effort, because here's the reality, right? And, and you, I'm sure you heard this, right? I heard this plenty, but I, I didn't truly heed this advice, which was, um, if you get hit by a bus, the military is going to replace you tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Like they, they will be sad. And there will be people that say nice things about you. But the reality is, is your position is getting filled tomorrow. Um, Whereas it is not the same for your family. And so, correct. I just, I sort of have taken that a lot more to heart. Don't, uh, don't run out of family before you you run out of your career. I know that you've mentioned that previously as well. Yeah. It's, uh, um, and I want to always try to keep that in mind too. I mean, like obviously little man coming on in, right. I I don't want to lose these moments, right. Um, yeah. And it goes to the, you know, it's a perfect time to, to mention it. It goes into that whole, you know, having a home office thing too, right? Um, I wanted a home office. I've been doing working from home. Well, if you exclude COVID, right? Because I got out during 
we were going back into the office by the point mm-hmm. in time I got out, but not much. Some people, there were still a lot of people still working from home um, when I jumped ship. Um, uh, but I was like, man, so I'm already kind of working from home, but I'm, but I'm not, I still am not, I can't be a dad, right? Cause I, I mean, I was on our COVID task force. So I was on phone calls constantly. I was doing the same type of thing, 16 hour days, like who's going where, what kind of happened. Yeah. And it was for like, I had, I had to track everybody across the world in my organization to say, well, okay, where are these people going? What's going on? Um, but, uh, uh, but now, I mean, I, I work from home. I'm like, okay, what, what am I sacrificing working from home? Probably a lot of productivity, like, you know, like, because yeah. this would have happened whether I was recording this podcast or not. He'd have come in from his nap. He'd have woke up. He'd have come in and say hi to dad. And then I'd yeah. have hugged him. And then I would be slowing down on my emails. I probably wouldn't make a meeting. I probably, something would happen. Um, mm-hmm. But there again, I can go play golf in the backyard with my son. It's okay. I can have him yeah. cuddle on my lap for a little bit. It's okay. And I, I don't know if this is just going to be a transition period. I really hope it's not. Um, but it is kind of distracting. So, like, you you work from home. You said it's probably going to be a little busy come 4 o'clock. What have you found thus far working from home um, with kids running around the house? <laughs> uh, I've discovered that I'm an epic failure at it. That's what I've discovered. <laughs> um, that's the reality of it. So, it's funny. I've come full circle on this. I I cannot imagine myself going back to a w2 that has like an office where i need Ugh, to go in yeah. you know normal times right i can't imagine that however um this is something that that me and and my business partners david and Stu, and several of my friends who run fairly you know significant organizations uh we've actually talked about a lot recently it's been kind of a common topic recently um of of the difficulties of working at home. So I just want to, like, I want to recognize that, right? Like it is, if you are trying to work from home and you feel like an abject failure at basically (laughs) everything across the board, then like you're in good company. I think there's a lot of us that feel that way. And I think that there's this, this mythical version of you working from home and having a two minute commute and getting to spend more time with your family. And to tell you Mm -hmm. the honest truth, I've, I think I have come full circle on it. I think for me, and I was just probably a week ago having this conversation with my wife. I might, do you ever have those conversations with your wife? And like, she's taking it in and she's letting you talk, but she is skeptical and she is, <laughs> she's visibly when we skeptical. Homeschooling. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. did you start? I actually, I, I was going to ask you yes. that. She decided to yeah. pull the trigger. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this was a conversation like that, a- actively skeptical. And I was telling her, I was like, I think that I would be a better husband and dad if I went somewhere in the morning for three or four hours, like twice a week and got everything I needed done that I could get done in that time. And then came back home and spend more time here, like turn working from home into working from somewhere else for very short periods of mm-hmm. intense time. And then being home most of the time. Cause I have found that I just really have struggled at, uh, I have a hard time with um, the, the switching, right? So I'm, I'm working on typing something up or whatever. And my kid comes in from his nap and interrupts me and whatever. And I, I'm ADD. So then I get back and I have 45 minutes of other kind of shiny mm-hmm. object syndrome before I get back into what I'm doing. And if I tell my wife, I'm only going to work for two hours. Well, now I've accomplished a grand total of 20 minutes worth of actual productive work. So, um, I knew that that my business partners, David and Sue, they both have gotten an office that they go to. Um, and I, I was laughing. I was talking with my friend Brad, and, and I said, you know, 
I have this beautiful office that I'm talking to you from. I've, I've got a good backdrop. I've got my microphone. I've got a professional camera, my big screen um, that I can work from, keyboard, mouse. And yet, for the last six months, I have done basically all of my productive work on my 12-inch laptop computer <laughs> in a coffee shop with yeah. you know, noise-canceling headphones on. And so that's sort of where I'm at with the, the working from home. I'm, I want to be more present where my feet are, and I think I'm doing a bad job of that currently. I like that statement, be more present where my feet are. I like it. Um, write that one down. Um, I, you know, I, I had pondered something similar, and I never, I never walked that dog around the block long enough to really understand what it, what it led to. So I was going to ask you, like, where do you do your work? But it sounds like you do it from a coffee shop, those three to four hours. Is that, I, is that the norm? Do you have another spot? What do you, how did you make the decisions 50, on that? It's fifty okay. fifty, I think. You you know something else too. I'll I'll I'll, I'll finish this thought. It's fifty fifty. I I come in here and work um, periodically. I'll I'll you know like this today. I'll tell my wife, mm -hmm. hey, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and do two hours. Um, <clears throat> or if I have something that really needs to get done, we just launched a, a newsletter for the Kinetic Man, and that's taken some pretty you know kind of dedicated work building yeah. the site, building the templates, and all those stuff. And so I was doing that a little bit at night recently. But I used to work. I'm an I'm a night owl. And so this is where mm -hmm. I forget who it is. Is it um, Tim Ferriss that talks about like understanding your energy, like the energy that you have throughout the day, um, your, you know, kind of high, medium and low tasks. So my work time is definitely at night. And so, like I said before, I would very easily go upstairs after dinner when we didn't have kids 8 PM and work until one or 2 AM mm -hmm. and get a lot done. Um, and I knew that I was sacrificing time with my family at that point. Right. When I started working from home, quote unquote, meaning I'm home like every day with a few exceptions throughout the month when I'm traveling for, for United, um, I sort of went back to that. I went back to because of the kids, right? So the kids mm -hmm. are, I assumed kids are awake during the day. We put the kids down at night. My wife wants to watch some stuff on TV. I'll go upstairs or I'll sit on the couch. Uh, probably the biggest offense, right? Is sitting on the couch with your computer. Um, and so in my, in my multitasking brain, I'm logging both quality time and working time. <laughs> in reality, I'm doing neither neither yeah. or successfully. Um, so one of the exercises we have our men go through at the Connect Man is um, before we dive into like anything, it's actually under the, the financial category, but before we dive into any numbers, we ask them to go to their wife and write down what are the top 10 things that bring you joy. It's a really great way to start a conversation about whatever, whatever it is with money, budgets, whatever. So on our anniversary recently, which is back in August, I took my wife to lunch and we had just done that with the men. Um, and so I did that with her. We had done it before a long time ago, but I did that with her. I took that, printed it out and took it. And I said, hey, like write down the top 10 things that bring you joy, um, which sidebar, usually it doesn't have a lot to do with money and it kind of gives mm -hmm. you some perspective of what you're, what you're focusing on. Um, one of the things on that sheet was uh, quality time after the kids go to bed. Mm. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, man, I have, I, I never asked her. I just focused on when is my working energy most productive coupled with when are the kids not around? And that equaled working in the evenings. And I just made the assumption my wife is relaxing. She's got the kids put to bed and, and dishes are done. She's just kind of chilling. And um, 
you know, just recently I kind of came to the realization through that exercise that I've been robbing my wife of quality time, like what she considers five languages style, our yeah. quality time. And so, um, I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to actively choose to make a change here. And I even told David and Stu this, I said, I want you guys to know, I'm going to put my family before our business you are likely going to see me be slightly less productive in the next couple of weeks while I figure this out because I am currently doing all of my work at night and I'm not going to do it at night anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure out how to do it in the morning. Um, spoiler, I have a three month old, so that was unsuccessful. <laughs> and so, and so I'm usually trying to sleep as much as possible until the absolute last minute. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've just chosen to try and say, okay, is today a day where you have the kids to my wife, you have the kids kind of, you feel like you're under control and there's not too much chaos. I'm going to take two or three or four hours. I'm going to go to a coffee shop and I'm going to crush as much stuff as I can for this whole week in one or two, you know, couple hour blocks a week at a coffee shop. And, uh, but that was a conscious decision to lower my efficiency, if you will, um, to kind of return one of the, important love languages to my wife that i didn't realize i had taken away yeah that's uh that's phenomenal i i'm definitely gonna have to do that with my wife to figure that out i uh, i remember i was just talking to uh, one of my friends about this um when we were at adp icon last week where she was asking about like goals and setting goals and all this stuff and like what how do you how do you continue chasing you know what, what like are you when do you know that you've got enough or when do you, whatever, right? It was just a lot of conversation about goals. God, what a good question. And what's yeah, enough? No kidding. Um, that is a phenomenal question, right? But so I remember sitting at a, at a, at a Rod Khalif event, um, multifamily, uh, event, um, um, and listening to him talk about how you like write everything down that you want. Doesn't mean you're actually going to get it. Doesn't mean that you're just going to write everything down that you want in life. And then you're going to be building out this whole life. And I, so I built out this entire life, all of my goals, all of my wishes, everything was going to be like, we're going to be owning a, a CESTA citation that fits eight people at least. I'm going to be flying around. The, I, I mean, everything I could, right? Right. Um, uh, and then I started driving towards that. And I said, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I, I never once sat down to talk to my wife about it. Never. She wasn't mm -hmm. at the event. She had no idea what was going on. She had no clue about it. So I built this whole life for us. That was all yeah. about what I thought our life should be. And I was like, what a selfish jerk. So I was trying to explain to her. I said, there's, there's always going to be something, right? My goals changed when I got married to my wife because I didn't even know what a savings account was when I got married to my wife. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized, holy crap, you're an idiot, Adam. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, and <laughs> my life changed. My goals changed. It wasn't just, I'm going to go get a job that I make $100,000 a year and, and enjoy the, you know, coast because I was going to go back to New York and be a state trooper. Well, that, changed drastically when i got married right um and then uh and then again have kids goals completely changed right i had i like everything changed when i had kids so i had to so it's a constant reassessment of what is enough and what is it is it enough in what right like you didn't have enough quality time with your wife you didn't necessarily know you didn't right but it was sitting down and assessing and understanding and looking at the whole the whole route that gave you the idea like gave you the understanding that she doesn't have enough quality time, which thus means you didn't have enough quality time mm, because yeah. one can't have enough and the other one not like right. it's going to be, it, it's, it's just not possible for that. That's not a balancing scale. So, um, uh, so I think that constantly assessing what, what is enough and what is in, in which categories needs to, needs to be looked at. Yeah. That I have 
so many thoughts that I, that I do want to like bring up, but I do want to ask you, you know, you've been doing it for a little bit now working from home mm-hmm. and running some businesses. Like what have you found uh, that is either what you expected working from home or not at all what you expected? Um, boy, it, it almost goes in line with kind of what you talked about is I, I was in the military extremely productive. Um, I was the go-to guy for pretty much anything and everything. Um, uh, uh, all the quote unquote awards and all the things that people get put in for and all the silliness. Um, because I was a guy that never said no, I didn't know how to say no. Um, and I, I think I partially just thought that was going to turn into the civilian side as well, where I was just going to go, 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 go. And I have found myself struggling to be the guy. Like I'm very busy, but I feel like I'm not busy in the right ways. Um, I feel like I'm busy doing just things that keep me busy as opposed to like, is the difference between like transactional versus transformational type stuff. I, I feel like I'm lacking in the transformational um, for a couple different way- reasons. But one of them being is I have, I have changed my focus so much to nothing but the kids. And I just assumed that I would get, okay, I'll spend some time with the kids and I'll come in here and do all my transformation work. And it goes to what you were saying, like, you know, somebody shows up from a nap, somebody comes into the here and it, like, it's been a, it's been a struggle, but it's been a struggle that I've, how do I want to word this or how do I want to think through this? Um, I think I've allowed the struggle to continue because I don't want to not see the kids walk by my door. Right. Yeah. Um, to me, it's such a joy. Like my au pair will bring over our little daughter and like dance her in front of the window just to say hi, just to break the monotony of my day. And I don't want to give that up, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I've been holding it off, which has then ruined my productivity. So it's I'm not as productive as I thought I would be. Um, but man, am I loving every moment of being a dad. Like it's yeah, unreal just being able to sit here with the kids and be able to see them and homeschool them and still manage to go put on conferences and, you know, buy real estate and do all the stuff. So I don't know if I answered the question fully, but I at least yeah. told a story. So it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I find that it's, um, it's a question of what are you maximizing for? And I think in the military and in a lot of W2s and a lot of defined role jobs, you are maximizing for whatever your position is, for whatever mm-hmm. like your your organization's definition of success is. And um, David, who does a lot of the kind of deep thinking and writing for Connect Man, he uses this phrase a lot. Like, what is your definition of success? A lot of people, a lot of men in particular, are living either intentionally or unintentionally somebody else's definition of success Mm -hmm. whether that's in the military and your unit's metrics whether that's the quote-unquote american dream whatever it is and so your definition of success is simply maximizing for something different than work efficiency but most men never get to that point never get to the point of realizing um you know something like you just said which is that uh, that's okay. Like I would rather see my kid walk by the window than accomplish, you know, five more pages of content writing today yeah. uh, because that's success. And so that's, so it's one of the things that, that I had to learn coming out again, it's part of that detox year. Right. Um, is, is just, it's okay. Like this is what I'm here for. I really love it. It's a cliche 
story analogy, but I, I do love it. And I go back to it a lot in here mentally, which is the story of the fisherman, right? Um, the fisherman sitting uh, by the side of uh, his boat playing his guitar and uh, like a businessman asks him, you know, why are you, why are you here playing your guitar instead of going out? And he's like, well, I caught everything I needed for the day. And it's like, well, you could get a bigger boat and then you can catch more fish and then you can, uh, you know, build a business and have multiple boats and people working for you. And then once you do all that, like you'll be able to retire. And the fisherman basically says like, when I retire, I would sit next to my boat playing my guitar. So like <laughs> that story, which I butchered terribly, um, really resonates with me mm-hmm. um, sitting at home in my home office and trying to get as much done as I can. And there's these passions and businesses that are good and are making solid impacts in the world. But like, really, what am I maximizing for? I'm maximizing for enough for my family. And then the most time and impact I can have on my wife and kids as they grow up. And so that's, I think about that a lot. Yeah. The, what are you maximizing for? I think is a phenomenal question that as you're saying that i have to to think about and you know i i I appreciate it because you just gave me almost a little bit of um i don't know liberty i guess we'll say to to enjoy the fact that i'm doing that and not feel guilty about the fact that i'm doing that um uh you know because i've even talked to my business partners about it like i'd like i had to explain to them like i'm gonna be homeschooling now like it's not going to be the best thing in the world for the company, right? Because right, right. I'm using the this first is few a hours of business every day. decision. Bad business decision, <laughs> yes. Um, but man, is it a great family decision, right? Like yeah. I got to bring my family with me to Philadelphia. I went to Philadelphia a couple months ago. Oh, nice. um, uh, got to show them where the Constitution was written. Got to show them, like walk them around, like uh, everything. Liberty Bell, do all the stuff. And then we went over to um, uh, Atlantic City for, for some masterminding. Um, and they got to go hang out at a hotel on the beach, swim in the pool, come visit me. Like we just, we got to have a great time that we would not have had to do, been able to do if it wasn't for the fact that we're homeschooling. Same thing with bringing them to San Antonio with me. We did a cross country trip from Tampa to San Antonio. Um, you know, stopping at various different places, um, you know, get to enjoy the time, not having to worry about it. We started school back up really sort of yesterday, um, after coming back from the trip and, my son felt terrible. He's like, he's got the same thought process. I do. like, I need to attack all this stuff. I need to be perfect. I need to get it done. And so he sees a checklist and he's mad if that checklist is not done by the end of the day. So even with school stuff, I'm, I should, I'm saying that out loud. I should not put it on a checklist and make it something that is just fun for him to do. But anyways, something for me to think about. But, um, yeah. uh, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm homeschooling now and he's like, well, well, yeah, but I didn't get enough stuff done last week. And I was like, we didn't have to. We're on vacation. I brought stuff in case it was like <laughs> raining outside and you had like you couldn't go. But you went to Legoland and you did zip lining, and you yeah. actually you went to the Alamo and you learned a lot about history at the Alamo. And you know, like, let's just enjoy it. So I think that's that's very much what I'm maximizing for is that time with the family. So, yeah, um, it's amazing what we imprint onto our kids too mm-hmm. I'm, I'm you know my three-year-old he turns three in um in september so he's just just over the the hurdle of three but man i can see like the things that he is picking they they catch everything that you say they yeah. are watching everything right and like the things that you imprint on them are just uh amazing and so like you're saying I, I know that 
the anxieties that we carry, the burdens that we carry in terms of like being efficient, having your phone. I mean, the phone is a classic one. That's an easy mm-hmm. one devices, but, but just like the way that we approach things. I mean, I know this is taking a, a bit of a left turn, but like uh, one of the articles I wrote recently was about um, some language that I have stopped using with my kids. And, and it's such common language and i never would have considered this until i heard somebody else say this and and i don't even remember who it was that said this but they said um stop saying that it's bad weather outside or that like your kid like you can't Mm -hmm. go outside when it's raining right like is it really bad weather there's a saying right like there's no such thing as bad weather just incorrect clothing and so um that's something that it's just one of those small little things that i thought about that when when you were saying that with about your kids that you know i tell my kids now like uh hey it's it's rainy outside not that oh it's bad weather and so therefore yeah. we have to stay inside and and it's a moody gloomy day no like would you like to go make an amazing day out of this rainy day great like rain boots and rain jackets and, and mm-hmm. have at it so those kinds of things that i'm just as a dad starting to pick up now how what i'm doing like i want my kids to live a balanced life i do i don't want my kids to uh my son to grow up and be working so hard on a passion project um, that he's always on his computer after family time, right? That his kids see him doing that and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I took a note here earlier when you were talking about working until one or two in the morning, like that's also something that you saw your dad do. Um, Yeah. Do you, do you feel like that may have been the reason why? I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's genetics and there's um, watched learned behavior, right? Yeah. Um, So like, do you think that that was, something that you just kind of picked up like, Hey, we stay up till two in the morning to get some work done. Uh, that's just, that's just what the heptic guys do. Man. You know, it's funny. I have never thought about that. Um, so I have identified that that behavior, I am a workaholic. That is something that I've had to realize as I've gotten older and a, a recent podcast that I did find enough with my mom, actually, uh, somebody was asking my mom and I both kind of that question. And I had trailed it back to when I was in high school, I had kind of big dreams and not a lot of money from my parents to mm-hmm. definitely enough to support us. And I lived a, at a great childhood, but not enough to send me to do some of these big things like getting my pilot's license and going to college and that yep. kind of thing. And so I worked three jobs for a lot of my time through high school. And so I, I connected my current workaholic um, tendencies back to that anchor, but it's funny you saying that. Yeah, that anchor probably goes beyond like my high school years to watching my dad go out and work until three or four in the morning. And and I, I would say right, like my dad, if he, you know, it's a it's a positive trait that he passed mm-hmm. on to his kids. Like when there's a job to be done, you work until the job's done. Um, but taking that to that extreme is yeah. is unhealthy, just like anything else. That's that's one of the reasons I ask about the the dad stuff usually at the beginning, and sometimes I get to dig into it a little bit more, and sometimes I don't. But I, I, that was such a huge awakening for me to kind of dig into my dad's past. Yeah, that really helped me understand who he was. That in turn helped me understand who I was because mm-hmm. I wasn't fully able to grasp a lot of that until I started asking myself some of these questions. Like, is this why you do what you do? And I, I mean, it's, honestly, it's why I I love being home and seeing my kids walk by my door. Because if I really look at it and say, I never got to really walk by and just see my dad yeah. at the house. Like it, it was, it was such a rarity that I, I tend to think that that might be why I like to be able to just sit here. I've got glass doors to my office. I just get to look out there, watch him play, listen to him, uh, be completely distracted and forget that I was reading an email or sending an email 
<laughs> because that never would have happened when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those, you're either running away from something, you're running towards something. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know, but subconsciously I have, a, it's gotta be part of it. You know, I don't really, yeah. Uh, but of course I could, you know, self-analyze that all day long. Like I'm sitting on a couch and, you know, Freud is behind me, but I'm not, I'm not going to play that game too awfully much, but um, <laughs> I, I, I think I try to play it just enough to be, realize, okay, are you doing this because you want to, or are you doing this because you feel like you have to, or are you doing this because whatever, right? Um, and to me, the like I train my kids to ask why constantly because I want us to always be thinking about why we're doing something. Um, which, as I've joked multiple times, the military is not a big fan of that. Yeah, I started to ask why a lot more <laughs> later on in my career, which <laughs> was uh, which was good because I was kind of tenured and they kind of kicked me out unless I killed somebody or something. But, uh, yeah. but at the same point, it's like, boy, like why are we doing all of this stuff? So, you know, no. yeah, I you know, there's. Um, there's i i so i i love morgan housel um oh i don't know who that is oh okay so uh psychology of money he's the author that wrote psychology of money he oh, also okay. has a pod, podcast yeah, that's yep. on my list so oh uh, it's a good one so um so so i we haven't like dug into this much right but like my entrepreneurial uh walk started mm-hmm. in the personal finance realm the, yep. the fire personal finance with chooseify and whatnot so um i i have a lot of background in that arena and, and it colors a lot of my my thinking but um i love morgan housel and his thinking his podcast is actually um one of my favorite podcasts because he has possibly the the highest value per minute podcast of anything out there but uh, he recently talked about um, like the difference between uh, eulogy traits and resume traits, mm. and, and which actually comes from uh, a different guy, uh, David Brooks, who's a New York Times uh, columnist, and he had a TED Talk. It's a decent TED Talk to watch, but uh, Morgan Housel took it a step farther, and he basically said, um, no one, literally no one on their eulogy um, talks about their horsepower or their square footage. Right. And so, but what we are like chasing after in this life is so poorly matched with what we aspire to. And so taking stock of, um, of that, and there's an exercise, there's an exercise that he talks about on his podcast and we actually do with our men in the mastermind. So that's kind of why I I thought it was interesting, um, which is writing your own eulogy. And so Mm -hmm. we tell our guys is okay. Now, you know, you got hit by a bus, somebody's writing your eulogy, who is it that's writing it and then write it out. Okay, great. And, and we kind of complete that exercise and then. Next, we say, okay, now the person writing your eulogy was given a truth serum. They cannot lie. They have to tell the day-to-day truth of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, now go write it. And and oftentimes, it's, you know, uh, dad was always present, came to baseball games, but was on his computer a lot at night or worked a lot afterwards, right? And so, and we tell our guys, like, okay, use this, like you use Google Maps, right? Google Maps basic functionality is really useful because it tells you two things. One, where are you now? And then where do you want to go? And it gives you a path to get there. And so we use that exercise to say, okay, you've written your eulogy, like what you want it to be. And then now you've written what um, the people around you probably think it is now. So like, how do you get from here to there? And uh, it's, that goes back to that whole, like, defining success for yourself and like maximizing your life to to be able to like tread that trend line towards what you want it to be at the end there um which 
is hard in our world. We just, we live in a world, the Western world is just not built for that type of, of life. Like we are considered the odd ones. Yeah. So uh, I want to ask you, uh, if I, like when I, when somebody reads my eulogy, I would love for it to be talking about how uh, wonderful of a husband and father I was, how present and engaged, um, uh, how, you know, I, I gave back to my community in ways that, that I would have never thought I'd be capable of doing, um, changed a lot of lives. Um, how, in in your experience with the people you've been talking to the you know what you're what you're doing um how are how are people finding and balance is the wrong word i I despise that word balance um especially when it comes to like business and and family and like it's it's nearly impossible it's a juggling match for sure don't don't drop the glass balls um yeah type of thing but uh how how should i be looking at this going okay I want to make sure that my kids know that I'm the most present father I can be. I want to make sure my wife knows that I am uh, the best husband I'm capable of while still driving forward to make sure that my business is running the way it should, that, um, you know, I, uh, we're, we're earning the, uh, I am, I'm making sure that the, we have that financial independence, that financial freedom that we need to make sure that, you know, we've, we've got everything we need plus some to be able to do the travels that we want to be able to mm-hmm. do whatever like that. Like there, there's, Again, the word balance is terrible, but like, how do yeah. how do I make sure that I'm looking at this properly and I'm putting the right effort in the right places to make sure that all of that can actually get accomplished? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so I would start with what I've what uh, I mentioned earlier, which is um, in each of those, and this is I have to you know give credit to David for these questions because I've heard him ask people these questions in response to that kind of a question uh, many times, which is um, taking each of those pieces and defining success for them, right? So, um, you know, if, if somebody says, I, I want to be financially independent or I want to be financially stable, great. What, what's the number? Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a million dollars. Okay, why <laughs> is it a million dollars? Like, is, um, oh, I, I just want to make a million dollars a year. Okay, is 500,000 a year enough? Is 250,000 a year enough? Like, what, like, where, like, why? Why is that the number? What yeah. is the number that you actually need in, in that one slice, right? Um, how do I make sure that my, my business is humming and that, like, I am accomplishing what I need to in my business while also maximizing time with my family? Okay, like, what, what is the definition of success? for you and your identity in that business, right? Like, is it that you want to be the best Chick-fil-A operator in the Southeast? Then that, like, that's going to take some sacrifices to get there. Is it that I mm-hmm. want to be, um, you know, a, a really solid Chick-fil-A operator for one store? Um, okay, cool. And there's, there's ways to, to meet that, to get to that point. And now you can kind of see like, where, where's the white space around that? Um, so I think just falling back on that, like, what is your definition of success? in each of these areas and um and what does it take to get there and therefore what do you have to to sacrifice or balance to to Mm -hmm. do that it's kind of how we we would walk guys through that question um i also think that um there's seasons right like i I think it is okay and and that's what we we talk about there's a there's a book called um I can't remember if it's called the second peak or the second mountain, right? But it talks about basically um, there's a lot of guys and, and the audience who listens to you probably falls into this camp 
there's a lot of guys out there who are very successful in their first endeavor and then really struggle at what their mm-hmm. second endeavor is because it needs to be higher and taller and more. Yeah. Right. And that's not necessarily true. So there's um, um, one of the guys in our uh, group is, is John Laney and he, um, he actually runs a website, uh, DOD reads. Right. And so he talks about this. He's like in the Navy, he was picking up tw- uh, 20 pound weights, right? Like he was doing work with 20 pound weights. Um, and when he retired, um, he struggled because he was using five pound weights, right? Like he had like the easy life and, mm-hmm. and kind of struggled for purpose and that kind of thing, but like, but that's okay. So, um, the idea of this, the second mountain is okay. The second mountain doesn't have to be taller. Like your purpose can be something like, I want to be able to sit with my kid in the pool at seven thirty AM on a Tuesday morning in the summer. Yeah. Like I want to build my life to have the freedom to do that. But if you, if you don't, so like I actually, the reason I use that as an example is because that is what I did. It took me a while after leaving the military and I did the classic, like I jumped off of one moving treadmill, like onto the moving treadmill next to it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and uh, was like, oh man, I was exhausted from being in the military and I'm still exhausted. Well, yeah, cause I'm still running uh, <laughs> at full speed towards like my business endeavors. Yep. Um, and so there was a, we had this discussion in a group of men and, and I told David and Stu afterwards, I was like, you know what? Like, my purpose right now, it, it's wonderful to build a business that makes an impact on men and um, tries to you know help with the epidemic of loneliness that the Surgeon General talks about and all these other things, right? But like my little p purpose right now is to like learn how to be a present dad with my kid. Like mm-hmm. that is my purpose, and it was for about a year. And like I, I've moved past that now. I've kind of left that season. Not that that's not important, but I felt like yep. I have been able to do some of that, and now I can move on to something else. But I think for military guys in particular, um, recognizing that you have had this big national security capital P purpose, and like yep. the next thing is okay to be a little purpose, something smaller and easier, and. Uh, something that is a eulogy trait instead of a resume trait. Yeah, I love that. I, I want to change the word smaller, though, right? Because we look at it as smaller, right? Because we're looking at it as another peak. Yeah. But I promise you, in the grand scheme of things, the impact that I have on my kids here is going to be a way larger peak than the impact I ever had in the military. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, granted, like I, I had a bomb dog that found a lot of bombs and did a great right. job. Right, right. That's a big impact. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the impact that they're going to be able to have with their kids, and then their kids' kids, and like that, that just keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, and man, I appreciate that perspective. I, I'm going to have to sit down and consciously put that effort in. Um, we had Hal Alrod speak at our at our conference last uh, last weekend, and um. He was talking about, you know, um, the Miracle Morning and all the stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I I looked at all, like, and it's not the first time. I've heard him speak before, and um, I've I've read the book, and I'm going to have to read it again. But it was like a, I had to sit there and go, okay, what what the heck am I doing every morning? I need to adjust some things I'm doing and be, and live with a more purposeful intent. Um, right now, I feel like I'm living with the, just the intent to be around my kids. And I, I don't feel that's very purposeful. 
Like, why is it that I want to be there? What, mm-hmm. like, let me break that actually down. Like, what is it that I, that I actually want to be involved in with my kids? Why is it that I want to do that? Why do I want to wake up early? Why do I need to be journaling these things? Why do I want these things to be set up my eulogy so that I can break that down and get, get that purpose um, behind it? I really, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, and I, I would venture to guess, and I, I could be wrong, but I'm going to bring this over to the, um, uh, the choose FI side of the house, right? Um, so, for somebody who's who's focused on um, you know financial independence and 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 doing all of that, right? I would venture to guess that that started your mindset, anyways, as far as being a dad. Like, it sounds like you were doing that before you were a dad. Is that accurate statement? Yep. yep. Okay. So, I don't know. I. I could piece together if you walk that down to its logical conclusion, you're going to do the same stuff with, with kids, right? I want independence with my kids as well. So can you talk to me about Choose FI, how you got involved with that, um, and how I'll start I'll start there. I've got extra follow-ons, but I'll just yeah. start with that. Yeah, I was... Um, so I'm going to speed run this story, but uh, Pensacola, living hard, uh, working hard, playing hard type of single uh, lieutenant in Pensacola got to a point like actually reached a day where there were zero dollars in my bank account mm-hmm. um and ironically enough i needed to drive to uh colorado to do some air force training the following day and like didn't have money to put gas in my car um so that was like my aha moment i gotta get my my life together so uh went through some dave ramsey cds and listened to mm-hmm. them kind of begrudgingly that opened my eyes to budgeting living lower than your means that kind of thing so then go on deployments and because our deployments were so long we typically like got out of whatever lease or house that uh, you were in was pretty normal in my community and so um making a pretty decent amount there with with low expenses and so then i started to you know say oh okay like this this is what it looks like to have a savings account and to be able to invest and and uh use the tsp and that kind of thing so uh came back from deployments and i basically went to barnes nobles you know when you go to barnes and nobles um like their best-selling books are face forward not spine Mm -hmm. forward i basically if you went to the personal finance shelf in 2014 i read every single book that was face forward and then a lot that were just the um you know it's like Robert Kiyosaki, but not just Robert Kiyosaki, like all of his advisors' books, because he had that whole yeah. network of books, right? And, and um, basically gave myself like a, an informal personal finance or, or MBA in 2014. Um, got to the Simple Path to Wealth as one of the final books, which, funny enough, right? I could have just probably ignored the rest of them if I had just read that one first, but it was the last one. Um, st- was listening to um, a radio show here in pennsylvania from the university of pennsylvania uh, wharton business school guy who did uh, a personal finance radio show and a buddy of mine was riding to work with me in the car and he was like hey you know there's like this really cool podcast that just started called choose started listening to them and they came to podcast movement in philadelphia one year i think it was 2017 or 18 um and the they held a party so Chooseify, Stacking Benjamins, and I think Paul, maybe Paul Pant. Stacking Benjamins. Yeah, right. So all of those guys, they yeah. all held a party yeah. at a brewery in downtown Philadelphia. And it was across the street from my my house, my apartment. And so I told my fiance then at the time, I said, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to walk across the street here and like meet these guys. And I've, I've just been listening to their podcast. And so I met Brad. I told him, hey, like I love your podcast. I'm a military guy. and And he told me he said hey you know it's funny we 
have more military and police and firefighters and first responders listening to the show than is like demographically statistically should be right like we have mm-hmm. a high proportion of those guys listening uh, and, I, and i told him oh, i i have been trying to i've been thinking about making some education material for them and so long story short they i was emailing back and forth with them and just kind of got hooked up with um making some material for them and and kind of giving out some military financial education under their name and then got swept up into their team and, and worked on their team for several years all, up until last year when I got out of the military and went to United. And um, it was, uh, it was an awesome experience. And I'll tell you, there's a few like really important nuggets that I always share from that story. Um, one of those is uh, email or a phone call or a handshake are free, right? It's like that whole, where I am now was the, uh, can be traced all the way back to just an email. I sent Brad who Brad's Mm -hmm. just a normal guy like the rest of us and, and is very generous with his time and responded and whatever. But, but he was somebody that I had sort of put up on this pedestal of he runs this amazing podcast that I love listening to. And he has probably hundreds of people who want his time and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. but it it all just started with an email. And I know he has an amazing story of that same thing with his daughter and King's dominion um, theme park that his daughter sent an email to the King's dominion theme park um, manager. And they like got back, um behind the scenes you know access and and a tour and stuff like that but like emails are free um and so put yourself out there like if there's something that you want to do if there's something that you are interested in and considering as a side hustle or as a business or a podcast whatever it is right like one go ask some of the people that are doing it and and ask them questions and a lot of people will just respond and and be very generous with their time And, and the second thing that i is an important takeaway from that story is uh, find ways to volunteer with an organization that's in that arena. And all of a sudden you start to find out how things work. And so that's mm-hmm. how I got started with choose is I, um, the playing with fire documentary was coming out, um, okay. the movie, and, uh, they were running several showings around the United States. And I volunteered to like drive from Philly to Washington DC and Baltimore. And then the one in Philly and help them run, those showings just like as a volunteer so that's uh that's the backstory of that and some of the the, like important life lessons that Mm -hmm. i take away now and i definitely like i wish somebody had told me that many many years ago yeah no kidding yeah i i think the 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 handshake one i mean that's actually how i met um uh, the partners over at adpi when we were first starting up i shook eric upchurch's hand at a conference said hi to him and then before you know it like i'm helping build education um right you know now helping run the company do all this like it just you never know where that's going to take you um um so the for me there was uh, the why is extremely important in almost everything that i do um mm-hmm. especially now it never used to be there i never looked at why i did anything like why did i spend all of my deployment money why did i do it, it like nothing <laughs> right it just didn't it didn't that wasn't something that clicked right um you found a uh, and I also talk about um, wireframes in our brain. Um, uh, wireframes for like a website. Um, you can have a, a wireframe for a website that you could pretty much use across across the board. Um, if you need to redo the wireframe, like you're basically redoing the entire website, right? So mm-hmm. uh, in general. So I kind of looked at it and said, okay, I need to wipe this wireframe clean, this all of my previous financial understanding. And then I turned it into a why of, okay, I need to support 
I needed to be the figurehead, the, the, the leader of my house, um, whether it was just me and my wife or whether that ended up being kids, right? So you found a spot where your wireframe got completely jacked up when you said, I don't have money for gas to drive to Colorado, right? So <laughs> yeah. new wireframe, boy, there's a there's right. got to be a better way to do this, right? So you yeah. crumbled the old, the old thought process and built something new. Um, as you were building that out, what was the, like, was there a why that you were chasing? Was it just like, I just don't ever want to see zero in my bank account again? Was it, you know, what was it that, that kind of kept you going down that route? Cause it's very easy to just say, okay, I got my, my, you know, even if you, I got one month of reserves, I have, I get a paycheck every two weeks, no big deal. I can stop here. So what yeah. was it that made you want to continue chasing that? So I would say that probably like most people in particular in the personal finance realm or the the fire realm more specifically i was running from something to start with right yeah. i was running from running out of money i was then running from uh, having to work after the military it seemed bonkers to me that people could do 20 years in the military and have a full retirement and then feel like this crush of financial weight on the other side of it mm -hmm. um to me it was like the greatest unlock like oh you put in your 20 hard years and now you can go do whatever you want to because you have like this guaranteed safety net for your life so so i was kind of running away from that i i wanted to just have more i wanted to have uh, that nebulous enough after i got out to do whatever i wanted and then i think probably having a family and uh you know i i had a hard time putting my finger on the change in why and what i was running to until actually just recently i knew that it had changed it was okay i want to have enough for my family so that we are stable and we have a comfortable life but it doesn't need to be extreme it doesn't need to be like I, you know i'm i'm in the airlines but there's a lot of airline captains who work to the bone Mm -hmm. They work crazy hours and they don't have to, right? Like they really do not have to, um, but it's just this chasing of more. And so I recognize that, that, oh, I, that is not where I'm at anymore. I don't need more. There's, you know, here's a number. There's a number on the sheet of like what we need to live every year and I can work to, to accomplish that. And that kind of goes back to that earlier comment of I've created this system with my W2 of like, here's the number my W2 needs to produce to have a very comfortable, happy life. And, and I've run that number by my wife. My wife has, you know, agreed to that number of like, oh yeah, that seems like very enough for me to be content for long mm -hmm. periods of time. Um, and then like, so how do I work as little as possible to get to that number as efficiently yeah. as possible there, which then leaves all this open space over here. Um, I love like in the, the personal finance realm, I, I used to, like hand books to people if they ask me a question at work right so in my especially in my military unit i would never be the one who like tried to like jump into a money conversation but you kind of become known right like you were probably yep. known as the real estate guy and yep. and people bring questions to you and you start to kind of become the go-to for a certain subject and so that was me with personal finances so anybody um anytime like a co-pilot was sitting next to me over the middle of the atlantic in the middle of the night and asked me i'm a money question like i, I, I kind of see right like they're like kind of looking at me and they dip their toe into the conversation and then an hour later we're still talking about it and i was like i realized okay he, he's actually interested in this i would get his address and i would send him two books so the simple path to wealth and the psychology of money there's a third book that i've actually added to that just recently and it's die with zero and mm -hmm. that book really changed my perspective on 
and, and I think it gave me some language and some words to what I was already feeling in terms of that why, which was, okay, I want to maximize the memory dividends for me while I am alive and then my children following when I am no longer alive. Um, and so that really now is my, my why. And, and it has changed. Um, I wouldn't say drastically, but it has changed some fairly significant decisions that we have made even around like how we deal with, with money or finances, or, you know, I would say that the, the sprint towards financial independence is less important. We've made some very kind of like you were saying about, you know, the, the business versus work at home and, you know, you're sacrificing something there for uh, a very purposeful why you know we have made some choices that were memory dividend building um but costly in terms of Mm -hmm. like financial independence aspect so that would be my why at this point that's yeah i one thing that in business right we talk a lot about or even in the military right you look at your core values right you know the air force has their core values the marine corps has their core values our business we have our core values we hire and fire based off of our core values we Mm -hmm. make decisions within the company based on our core values we've made a lot of very difficult decisions recently in inside of our company um because it didn't align with what we were going for and too many people i think and, and myself included we haven't done it in a long time since this one was a baby um haven't sat down to actually say what are what are our core values as a family like can we make decisions <laughs> yep. as a family based on these core values right yeah i'm 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 constantly thinking about it with my my job you know like um we're going to a, a trip in february january end of january and we're going to be working on this as a family sitting down working on our core values working on what our our quote-unquote business plan is as a family where do we want to go um so it's really had me thinking a little bit more about what that looks like and uh, you know i think it's in perfect alignment of what you're saying right like if we it, it we may have to not make as much money this year because it didn't the, the things that we would have had to choose didn't line up with our core values yeah my core values are you know quality time okay there's going to be times where I, like my quality time has to come first and not making that yeah. extra you know x amount of money um yeah, so i think that, that that's a valuable exercise that i've done it before and i'm really sad that i haven't done it in a while but like literally sitting down like what is it that each fam- member of the family wants to do we started this morning funny enough um, writing down adventures that they want. Hey, buddy, what was the adventure that you wrote down that you want to go do? Do you remember? You don't remember? <laughs> go camping and see little brown bats. Yeah, oh. he wants to go camping and see little brown bats. There you so go. He saw it, I think, on Wildcrats or something. Is that where you saw it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. now, like we wrote it down, it's one of the things we need to go camping somewhere where we can go hiking and see little brown bats. Um, uh, it does that line up with our core values as a family? If it does, check. Let's go do yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Um, we're taking the kids on a cruise this year for their birthday instead of buying gifts and all that stuff. Right. Because right. that quality time and that adventure with them is way more important than any of the yeah. ten thousand you know toys that they're going to get over their lifetime. Um, so does that line up with the the values and the mission of our family? check let's yeah. go do it you know um so that's something i would say that i would i would love to pass on to you and anybody else that's listening is is find out what your kids think is enjoyable find out what they want to do what kind of adventures they want to go on what's important to them not just you and your wife like it's important for us to obviously make sure we've got goals and stuff set up for our family but like what about that like is it is it important for them to be included in x y or z thing and 
Um, so Adam came, I don't remember what he came up with. Oh, there's a exploring world geography book um, that he wanted, like the world's or the North America's largest banyan tree is, man, man, my face is getting hot. It's like burning over here. I don't know how to get that sun out of my face. Um, the North America's largest banyan tree is like just a couple hours south of us in Fort Myers, Florida. And oh, it's like this huge tree. And I, I learned more about banyan trees today doing homeschool. Um, but like <laughs> the birds will like basically plant the seeds onto like branches. Um, and then the, it'll implant on, what is it called? I forgot the word. I'm going to fail that, that test if I, yeah. if I have to take it tomorrow, but yeah, um, that's, man, that's terrible. Something to fight. <laughs> epiphyte. I think it's epiphyte. Anyways. Um, so it'll plant on the tree branch and then it'll grow roots down to the tr- down to the ground and then right. build its own tree underneath uh-huh. it. So now it's like all these huge branches with all of these big trees growing right. up from underneath them. And it's it just looks almost like a forest of one tree. So on the list, let's mark it down. We're going to go spend some time. Yeah. We're going to learn about it, you know? So um, I don't remember how I started all of this, but in it, what I want to go to is just like making sure that everything we're doing has the why for 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 that time yeah. right and i think that you mentioned it earlier of like there are seasons of certain things like I, i'm venturing to guess when my sons are you know 17 and 13 they may not want to go see the banyan tree in fort myers florida yeah so i should probably go knock that out now because this is the season where it's important to them um that man. is such that's one of the things i took away from that die with zero book mm-hmm. is time bucketing the things you want to do now it's talking about like it, it contextualized it post retirement, right? So the mm-hmm. like, what are all the things you want to do before you die, if you will? And then like some of those things you can do in your fifties, and you can't do later. Like you can't do, you can't walk up, you know, a thousand steps in Rome when you're eighty or ninety, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or you can't go do X Y Z. And so, like, understanding what you can do with those. But if you really take it, I know that. um you have mentioned the book. Uh, it's uh, the worst title. I always call it 18 Summers. I know it's the family board meeting, but yes, I just yeah. call it 18 Summers because me too. Amazing book, horrible title. So, but like taking those two things and combining them, like what do you want to do with your kids? And, like when are you going to be able to do them? And actually planning, planning it out in into sort of uh, you know buckets of years. Like mm-hmm. what am I? What are my kids going to want to do when they're under 10? What are they going to want to do from 10 to 15? And what are they going to want to do when they're 16, 17, 18? And kind of, because it's so easy to let those three or four or five years slip by. And all of yeah. a sudden, you've left that era, if you will, of, you know, going to see Disney on Ice or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I, I think it was, I don't know, a podcast or two ago. Um, hasn't even been released yet at the time we're recording this. But I've probably mentioned it every podcast since. And it was a story walking around with my son. Um, he asked to go on my shoulders, the eight year old, and he's like this little ball of muscle. That's a pain to get up on my shoulders. And I, you know, I, I told him, I said, dude, like, what the heck? You're like, getting a little too big for this. Right. Um, you got a telephone in your hand there. Jeez. <laughs> so holding it up like a telephone. Uh, but you know, he's like a little ball of muscle. I was like, dude, this is tough. And then I was walking with Raquel, my wife. And I said, you know, I, I heard recently, you know, there's going to be a last time that your child is going to ask to go on your shoulder. Right. There's going to be a last, you don't know when it is. That could have been the you last don't time. Know when you don't it know. Is. Exactly. And I looked yeah. at him and said, get up here, like get on yeah. up, you know, like it was almost bringing tears to my eyes, just walking through wherever we were. I don't know. We, mm-hmm. I don't even know where we were. Could have been Walmart. I have no idea. Throw him up on my shoulders and just start walking around um, probably for only like two or three minutes. And then I said, oh, you're too heavy. But um, 
But oh, you need some help getting the banana open. Really? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. There you go, buddy. There's, there's gonna be a last time that your kids, you know, want to walk around and hold your hand, yep. and or open a banana for them, or open a banana for them. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is so important, and I, it's good. I need to take that away for myself too. I have thought about it for myself and and my wife and the things that sort mm-hmm. of you want to do and maybe do with as a family. But, um, you know, my, my three-year-old, I, for whatever reason, him turning three, I feel like we are hurtling into those years where like, I need to, I need to pay attention to the language I use or I, oh, I yeah. need to, and not, I don't mean like poor language. I, I mean like no, actually, no. you know, like, like what am I imprinting on it? For whatever reason, yes. this three year, three year old birthday really hit me as like, okay, I'm like, I've been uh, keeping a human being alive and now I've left that era and I am entering yeah. the era of like, I am teaching a human being that for me happened at that three with him. Mm. Keeping a human being alive versus uh, um, teaching, you know, teaching a human teaching being and to live. printing and yeah. and you know, building build a human being up into an adult. I love so it. I've felt the weight of that on me recently. I've I've got all these things on my mind. All right, I'm going to write that down before I forget it. All right. Um, yeah, the way I worded it on my side, keeping a human being alive turns to teaching a human being to live and that, yeah. um, and it could, you can go down a couple different paths on that, that whole portion of teaching them to live. It's, uh, um, what, like, what are we showing in our own ways that is showing them what life actually is like, yeah. Is sitting behind these three screens life? Is this living? Is it, yeah. or is it, um, you know, whatever, whatever we want to call it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and what a change of perspective. And I, I think that that that's, I think it's an important exercise to go through. So good on you for, for starting it and thinking about it. Like, I mean, I've even like boys, we don't say the word can't, right. That's not, yeah. it's not in our vocabulary, right. There yeah. are, there are almost never anything that we can't do. Right. Right. I can tell you, you can't flap your arms and jump off the roof and it's going to work to fly. <laughs> but what we can do is put you in a plane and teach you to fly. Right. Yeah. Like right. we can do that. These are things we can do. So yeah. yeah. Go on a parachute. You want to go on a parachute? Yeah. That sounds like fun. Totally possible. <laughs> totally possible. You could do that. Yeah. But, you know, the one thing that has really, uh, it, it, we- it has been weighing on me recently to the point that I, I have, my wife and I both, we've talked about it and we have started taking intentional action oh, is our kids seeing us have thriving, healthy friendships as adults. Um, somebody said something recently in one of our groups that, that really struck me in that area of like, you know, do you want to, do you want your kids, your kids have tons of friends. Like my three-year-old, um, will run into a playground with a ton of other kids and say, I'm going to see my friends. He's never met these kids before, right? Like everyone on that playground is his friend and he is going to meet them to play. Right. And so that's how kids sort of, uh, approach life. And somewhere we uh, especially as men lose that. And I can't remember who it may have been Ben Colloy that said that like you're the, um, I'm going to butcher this, this quote, but the quality of your community and friendships is directly related to the amount of hellos that you say. Mm. And it's always struck me because I am the kind of dad that I am perfectly happy standing at a playground with five other dads 
and kind of giving the head nod to them and standing silently and watching my kid, you know, like yep. instead of going over and saying hi and whatnot. And so that's one thing that uh, it just made me think about us talking about, you know, teaching our kids as they grow up and, and seeing us do things and um, what are we imprinting on them? That is a big one for my wife and I, we, we have, we've had the conversation of like, okay, <clears throat> like literally here are our friends Almost none of them live, especially military, right? Almost none yeah. of them live here anymore. Okay, cool. Here are some acquaintances, some decent friends here locally that we do stuff with them once in a while. We should do a lot more with them. Like we should make an active uh, effort to reach out and go to dinner with them and whatnot. Like not only for ourselves, but also like so that our kids grow up in a home that is full of community and friends and um you know a tribe of people that we have here locally i don't want and and i think this is totally possible i don't want my kids to become adults and to say yo yeah like all of dad's best friends were the ones that uh he talked to on the computer and the phone Mm. because if you look at my day if you took an audit of my day right now that is probably what it would tell you yeah yeah, I think the that's a that hits hard, um, especially the military folks, right? Yeah, because we're you know it's hard for us. It's it's fine for me, like knowing that like there's there's really like extremely good friends that I can call on right now, anywhere in the world, and say, hey, I'm in a problem, I need mm-hmm. your help, and they're like brothers and sisters to me. Um, but my kids don't get to see that. They don't ever get to know that that those are the types of relationships you could build and that you should be trying to get, you know? Yeah. Um, so representing that well is, is an important thing. And I, boy, I haven't talked to Ben in a long time. I need to get him on my podcast. You mentioned Ben Colloy and I need to get him yeah. for sure on the podcast. I haven't talked to him in, boy, I was on his podcast probably, I don't know, five years ago, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I really need to reach out to him, get him on. So he'd be he came he'd and be spoke great. at one of our retreats, but uh, and, and was on the podcast. And I think it was on the podcast that uh, that he said that he's you mm-hmm. know he talked about like the um, that as modern men we have to understand that like the the math of the situation is you need to say hello to as many people as possible. That that's mm-hmm. how you build a thriving community and tribe around you. And for whatever reason, just that kind of scientific approach to it really, you know, has stuck with me. Yeah, I don't remember if it was somebody talking this weekend or I don't, I don't remember where it was, but um, it, you, if you're walking around, right, people that smile at you make you want to smile. Mm-hmm. If you smile at somebody else, it makes them want to smile. Like we all, especially men, uh, have a, have a tendency to have that that look that that we're we're intently focused on whatever it is, whether it's focused up here, whether it's focused around here, whatever it is, and we don't we don't have that. Hey, come say hi to me. Look on our face, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But yet, if you say hi to another dude, they're gonna be like, "Hey, man, what's up? Good to meet you." Like, and and yeah. we immediately will start talking. So I think that's a, a very valid and valuable thing to to add in there. Um. And I need to make sure that I'm doing that a little bit more. Even at my son's golf, sometimes I do that. Like, I just, like, I'm focused on here with my son. I'm like, I've got a billion other things. I'm not even going to say hi to another dad. And like, how crappy is that, right? Like, yeah. What, yeah. A, what a terrible way to, to walk through life. And I'm expecting him to go have fun on the putting green, talking to his buddies. But here I am sitting by myself right. on my phone, making sure that something's getting accomplished. Right? <laughs> so uh, it's ridiculous. But um, man, oh, man. 
All right. So what, what other things have we not touched on? Boy, we barely even touched business stuff. We talked a lot of dad stuff today, which is yeah. awesome. Um, uh, it helped that my son was on my lap pretty much the entire podcast. But what are the things do we need to, do we need to hit on that, that are like burning through your brain right now? Something that either you're struggling with or you've been pondering a lot or something that we've missed? Oh, yeah. You know, we... Um, I, I, I would say... <clears throat> <laughs> we, we've we've talked around this a couple of different times. I'm not even sure this is business. I'm not going to do a good job of answering your question, but the one thing that that uh, I want to, I think Stu and David and I are trying to do a better job of is <clears throat> um, normalizing the transition out of the military into yeah. business is a train wreck. Um, like for everyone, basically. Yeah. Like we've yet to meet somebody who was like, "Oh, I did that well," and I feel like I uh, I was successful at my first attempt at this. Yeah. Um, and so just sort of recognizing that you know, even the three of us, like all three of us, we it goes back to the whole seasons, right? Like we have struggled at that balance of work and home life. And interestingly enough, I think in the opposite direction than we expected, right? We have struggled uh, in some degrees of going like full tilt to family Mm -hmm. because we just felt like so much time was taken from us in the military against our family. So I think like I I carry around a level of guilt for the amount of time that I was away from my family, right? And I'm sort of paying penance and and trying to repay that as much as possible. And I know that David and Stu feel that same way. And, And so for the first year of our business together, Um, There was a lot of times when one of us said, I can't make that call. I've got to pick the kids up from school or I can't do Mm -hmm. this or, you know, promise to get something accomplished and it didn't get accomplished because of whatever. And, and um, just saying like, that is both okay and healthy. I think coming out of the military to go through that season and, and to identify it and you will, and know that you will move past it. Right. So all three of us now, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, I think I have come to a point where, okay. I need to take three or four hours, get out of the house, accomplish some very um, important and meaningful business work. Like we are making a difference in men's lives. And that is uh, one of my purposes in life. And that's okay. Like I I enjoy that passion and and it's a a worthwhile and valuable passion. And so I'm going to take some time. I'm going to dedicate it to it um, instead of just letting everything kind of bleed together. So Mm -hmm. from a business perspective, it took us a while to get to that point together. And, and we joke, we laugh because we say like, Oh, was, uh, you know, does it feel like a train wreck for everyone? Uh, yeah, I, I think it does. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think the, the transition as a, as a whole makes you kind of feel like that. Right. Because, you know, it, there's one thing getting out of your comfort zone. There's another thing, um, being thrown into a fire right <laughs> and it's like yeah okay I'm, I'm slightly more than uncomfortable right now and i'm sl- doing something slightly different than just different right now um and i think that might be part of the reason why military members especially do their 20 years in the military and then transition take off their uniform put on a suit and do the same job you yeah. know upstairs right because right? like it, it gives them that feeling of security and there's no no concern and they don't have to worry about screwing it up because they, this is what they just, I just know this, this is what I'm comfortable in. This is what I know. Um, yeah. And you know, when you're chasing something else, like that's a, that's an uncomfortable place to be. Like it's not, 
It's not normal. I, mean, I, I got made yeah. fun of a lot for jumping ship when I did. Like, yeah. A lot. People are like, I mean, I called into a lot of offices. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, what, like, what are you thinking? What are you throwing away? And I was like, well, right now I'm not throwing away my children's lives for the next four years. Right. Yeah. So that's one yeah. thing I'm not throwing away, you know, but, right. um, but yeah, how yeah. uncomfortable it's, you know, um, to, to do what I think both of us did, you break the mold yeah, to some degree. Right. And people, it's also, it is really hard to see the label on the jar when you're inside of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I always encourage people have a plan, have something you are running to outside. Yes. Um, whether that you're leaving at the end of your contract, you're leaving early or you make it all the way to retirement, whatever, right? Like have a purpose, have something that you're running to after the fact, but recognize that like it is going to change. Mm-hmm. It's going to change and that's okay. And the season of chaos is just a season and you will get through it and sort of feel settled. It took me, it took me a year to detox and it took me 18 months to feel settled. Uh, and I knew exactly what I was going to. Like I, I sort of cheated a little bit, right? Like I was a military pilot, and then I went to go be an airline pilot. That's mm-hmm. like as close to putting on a suit and going upstairs as you can get without actually staying yeah. in the military. And yeah. so, um, but even then, you know, like it, it, uh, it takes some time to to get that out of your system. And like I said, those seasons are are good for us. It's good to, I think, overindulge on on family and, yeah. um. And kind of remind yourself like why you're doing all of this, and then take a step back and settle and say, okay, like what does this look like long term for me? What, how mm-hmm. does this, how does this balance well, um, you know, into the future? And I'm just now getting there to that point. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I think that, uh, um, I think part of the reason that you and I things that we did broke a mold is the same reason that. Um, as odd as it sounds, my mom kind of laughed at me when I told her I was going to buy apartment buildings or that a lot of people are like, Hey, like, that's not like you shouldn't get into real estate because of X, Y, or Z, or you shouldn't invest in this or that because of X, Y, or Z. Um, when you know the reason why you're doing something and you're running towards something, it gives you that confidence to be able to say, I appreciate your insight, but I still know I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, because right? right. they're only trying to help. Like most of yeah. like all of those people that brought me to their office were only trying to help me out and say, "Hey, I don't want X, Y, or Z bad thing to happen to you." They never looked at the other side of it. Their their whole intention was to to look out for me personally. My mom's whole intention when she was like real estate, no, like that's not like she like there was a little bit of fear there. I knew yeah. I was confident in what I was doing. I knew where I wanted to go. So I was able to work through that and, and jump to it. So anytime you're in one of those transitions, anytime you're working through one of those things, the more you get comfortable with why you're doing it, I think the more comfortable you'll be taking the advice to the meat that's on that advice and spit out the bones and be okay with it. So I yeah. still know I'm confident in my decision. I'm moving forward with what I, I know is best for me right now in this season for where I'm at. Um, you know, maybe in yep. 20 years, I'm going to look at it and go, are you kidding me? I st- like, I never got a retirement check. I did all of that. And not, I didn't even get a retirement check out of this. Right. But I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the case. Right. But, yeah. but you know, it's, it's one of those. Okay. Well, I mean, I still think that that was the best decision where I'm at because I made a very educated decision, not an emotional decision, but a, you know, logical understanding, work through the process type of decision. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. yeah it, some some people will put it in the context of like understand the game. Everyone is playing a game mm-hmm. and none of us are playing the same game. And so yeah. don't optimize uh, or take too much advice from somebody who has different incentives or different. They're playing a different game. Yeah. Um, and, and I think a way to reframe that analogy is saying like, what is what is your definition of success? What is the success that you are driving towards, and like what's going to get you there? And understand that like your definition of success is very likely not um, everybody else's, and so um, they may not understand how what you are doing is driving towards your definition of success. That's awesome. Well, I thank you so very much for for jumping on, Stephen. It was awesome to chat with you. I uh, I'm very thankful you were able to fit this one in um, with yeah. the last minute cancellation on my side and an opening on your calendars that worked out really well. Um, but uh, I, if if people want to reach out to you um, and you know whether contact you or see uh, see your guys' newsletter, where should we where should we send them to? Yeah, so you, anybody can can reach out to me directly at uh, Stephen at thekineticman.com, and that's Stephen with a PH, um, or go to thekineticman.com is our website. And um, where I really want to start meeting people is through our newsletter. So we've launched this new l- newsletter. I, I'm writing it uh, every other week, and it is just um, three or four tidbits of information that talk about um, like what is the experience of uh, men going through you know our world today, the the culture, the technology, the influences that affect us, and like how do you go from being a potential? How do you take your potential and turn it into like fully kinetic man? Uh, and so you can find us there. There at uh, thekineticman.com slash newsletter. If uh, you read that and reply back to me any week, I read all of those and um, and reply to everybody. So we're, we're really excited to sort of uh, open up a new chapter with that and, and start connecting with folks. That's awesome. So don't be the potential man. Put the action yes. into it. Be the kinetic man. Make it yeah. damn happen. You don't, um, you don't want your newsletter. headstone to say, uh, this man had so much potential. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Man, what a, what a bunch <laughs> of potential he had. Um, but thank you again very much. It was a awesome. phenomenal conversation. I really enjoyed it. Lots of notes. Um, I'm definitely going to have to have some good, solid conversations with my wife after this one. I think this is this one challenged me a lot. I've, I opened myself up mentally for it a lot more than I thought I did over the last couple of weeks. And you're the perfect person to sit here and, and have a conversation with about this. So thank you so much, Stephen. I appreciate yeah. it. And uh, if there's ever anything I could do to return the favor, please give me a buzz and we'll uh, we'll make it happen. But, yeah, loved this. This was a fantastic conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. We will see you on the next one. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Biz Dad Podcast. We hope you found some value in your time here with us, and we look forward to bringing you the next episode. If you've enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share so you and your friends won't miss our upcoming episodes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Rumble, where we continue these discussions and share more valuable content. Be the dad you know you need to be and run your business in a way you're proud to share with your kids. Keep crushing it.